Support for this podcast comes from CLR Clear. Fight back against annoying household messes with CLR Clear. CLR Clear is tough on dirt and grime all around your home, and we're not just talking about calcium, lime, and rust. They have an entire lineup of cleaning products for your kitchen, bathroom, garage, and more. Visit clrbrands.com to learn more. CLR Clear, fight the clean fight. Eileen Fisher designs simple clothes to make your life easier. Timeless pieces in high-quality materials that are responsibly sourced for less impact on the environment and more positive impact in the world. Visit EileenFisher.com and use offer code GIRLFRIEND to receive $25 off your $100 purchase. That's EileenFisher.com, offer code GIRLFRIEND for $25 off. Welcome to Call Your Girlfriend. A podcast for long-distance besties everywhere. I'm Amina Tuso. And I'm Ann Friedman. On this week's agenda, Finding Your Voice, Finding Your Power, and Amina interviews Morgan Jerkins about her new book, This Will Be My Undoing. Hey, hey, girl. Hey, Aminatuso. <laughs> How's it going over there? Oh, you know, I'm pretty good. I'm excited for uh, our special guest this week. I'm very excited about our special guest this week. I talked to Morgan Jerkins, who is a New York City-based writer in her 20s. She's so smart. She graduated Princeton with so many degrees. She has an MFA from the Bennington Writers Program. And she is the contributing editor at Catapult and a former Book of the Month judge. I know there's so many Book of the Month fans on the podcast. You've probably read a lot of her freelance stuff at The New Yorker, The Times, The Atlantic, Elle, Lenny Letter, Rolling Stone. Basically, this lady's been around. And uh, She's like a quadruple threat. Like, all of the lit things. Like, she is amazing at. Yeah, she has all of the lit things. Like, on lit, lit. lock. <laughs> <laughs> Why does nobody have Lit Lit as a lit brand? Okay, that's our next um, goal. Also putting in a plug for um, Catapult in general, which I feel like has some truly incredible writing, feminist writing. Like it, feel, it feels like a corner of the internet where um, the world slows down a little bit and I get to like truly experience some good essayists. And I know that Morgan has a big hand in that. And so, you know, I know we're going to talk about her writing work, but editor to editor love plug right there. For and, the and we do, and we do talk about like kind of what her mission is in, in publishing. Right. And so, um, yeah, she's a really thoughtful, like smart young lady. She, her debut essay collection called this will be my undoing, um, is out on January 30th, uh, at Harper perennial. And, uh, you know, this is going to be, like, one of the big books of the year. You know how, like, you always know from how the the marketing rollout is, and it's been on so many lists. Roxanne Gage just interviewed her a couple weeks ago in L, and Roxanne's been a big booster of the book. It, this is going to be a book that we're going to talk about for a long time, for many reasons. You're, you're saying there's buzz? <laughs> I'm saying there's, like, hella buzz. <laughs> and uh, and listen, the buzz is like super warranted. One, like, so I, I talked to Morgan about like a lot of things, um, namely like being black ladies. And when I was reading the book, so it's a short essay collection, part memoir, and then like, uh, you know, and then cool like uh, thoughts on like culture and feminism and all of this stuff. 
But um, one of the things I realized is that I was like, oh, you're like in your 20s and you're writing a memoir, like, which is a thing that I'm usually very like, like, what do us young people have to say about anything? And then, yeah, the, you can't write a memoir until you have at least like 30% gray hairs, right? Right. I'm just like, you gotta be like 85 to like tell people about your <laughs> life. And then actually, like, no, Amina, that's a really dumb thing to think because people have really great experiences that are worth talking about. And then when you start thinking about like Morgan's work specifically, is how she's like a young black feminist talking about her own life in ways that are so underrepresented in like pretty much like all of literature, I would say was something that I was, like, really struck by. I was like, these are conversations that I have with my family and they're conversations I have with my friends and they're, like, private things that I'm ashamed of, but I, like, never say them out loud. And I told Morgan this, like, one of the first, uh, one of the, like, overwhelming feelings when I was reading her was literally gasping, being like, why are you telling people this? (laughs) And And then having to check myself. Because I just, like, realized, I was like, oh, this is an experience that, like, doesn't get, the internal lives of Black women, like, doesn't get written about a lot. And the thing about it that is that was, like, amazing, and in talking to her that I really appreciated, right, is that she really drives home that, like, uh, you know, she doesn't want this to be the, like, here is how, like, uh, this is the the seminal book on, like, uh, young women in, you know, like, young Black women in their 20s or whatever. It's like, no, like, this is very much, like, my experience, and I'm an individual, and I have, like individual thoughts and you know but also like here's what it means to be who I am in the context of this world and she has like a really good head on her shoulders which I think will be good because book people try to make everything like really simple right it's like ta Coates is like the black man writer Roxanne Gay is the black woman writer and now here's like the young person and I feel like that's not gonna happen with this conversation uh yes can't wait to hear from Morgan Hello, Morgan. Hi. Thanks for joining us on Call Your Girlfriend Thank today. Thank you for having me. Tell the people what your book is called and when it's out and when they can get it. Okay, so my book is called This Will Be Mine Doing. It's coming out January 30th, and you can get it from Amazon, Barnes & Noble, the Harper Perennial website, and at your nearest bookstore. That's right. And remember the CYG rule. If you like a book, buy one for your friend. <laughs> We're really excited to talk to you today. I uh, So your book is part memoir, part biography. It is the experience of one Black woman in America, mm-hmm. which is really exciting to me because I feel that there, first of all, like whenever people of color, especially women of color, write books, the the book industry is so quick to be like, here's the defining experience Mm -hmm. of what (laughs) Mm -hmm. this thing Mm -hmm. is. Mm -hmm. But I think that what was really, uh, what was really heartening reading about you was how, just how personal it was and how, um, you know, it was like a very modern narrative of girlhood, Mm -hmm. which um, it, that felt really fresh Mm -hmm. and it felt very much to the 20th century. Like what was the, can you talk to me more about, like, what was the process behind, like, okay, I want to write this very personal book, but it it is also, like, commentary on society today? Right. So I didn't think that I was going to write uh, an essay collection. It just sort of happened naturally, I guess, with the help of my agent, Monica. She saw my work online and noticed that there was an emphasis on Black people and especially Black women and this intersection of race and gender. And she was like, why don't you write about it? And I said, okay. So I crafted a book proposal. And, you know, when you write a book proposal, you have to have sample chapters. And when I got to that section, when I wrote the sample, when I was thinking of the first sample chapter, 
it didn't take much thought. It's like I already knew in the back of my head, like, what I wanted to write about. What were the moments when I knew that I was specifically black and female? Mm -hmm. Um, And so that's why when that first chapter where I talk about the cheerleading trials, it didn't take me days to go over it. It just, sometimes I think, like, those moments that stick with you that sort of influence your psychology or, like, the way in which you perceive the world, they stay with you. I guess to some people that's trauma, but it was something that I wanted to convey. And... I also wanted to get back to your point about like just making sure I, like people know that it's one story because I knew that if I kept saying, well, black women, black women, black girls, black girls, and not also prefacing with, but this is one story, then a lot of people would say that, um, you know, you're generalizing. Yeah. And I wanted to make sure that I say in the first chapter, I cannot speak for everyone. So I hope that maybe this is your first time reading about a black woman or maybe it's a continuation, but just know that there are so many other parts that have to be um, uncovered as well. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a really important conversation to have because I know like when I was reading it, there were a lot of things that I was like, I don't identify with this or I don't agree with this. And we're both like, Two black women, right, mm-hmm, who live mm-hmm, in New York. But mm-hmm. surprise, surprise, our lives, right, right. our lives can be different. But I think that also the, the the reason I think that probably I felt that is because I'm like, there's so few of these books. And so mm-hmm. there's so much pressure to be like the voice mm-hmm. every time, you know. Mm-hmm. And I think that as readers, we internalize that. Mm-hmm. And then also it just, I don't know, it just, it creates this internal pressure. But the other thing I think, too, that I was really surprised by when I was reading your essay collections is that at some points I was gasping. I was like, Morgan, we don't talk about this with white people. <laughs> yes. I, oh, I my felt, God. You know, I was like, okay. I'm like, this girl has lost her mind. Like, we, yeah. this is, yeah. and, and I realized that it was, uh, and the thing, again, I was like, wow, this is like challenging me to unpack my own, mm-hmm. um, my own internalized mm-hmm. feelings about, like, how I talk mm-hmm. about race mm-hmm. and how I talk about myself. And I was really surprised by that. Mm-hmm. So, you wow. know, like things like, you know, I think that like one conversation that like we're okay having with white people is the hair conversation oh, now. Yeah. It's like we don't care. We're like, don't touch our hair. But the 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 thing that you talked about about how you wanted like you grew up wanting to be a white cheerleader, you know, and and just like the it's like, ah, like the, that feeling of like, okay, like I didn't feel adequate or I had a different idea of what I wanted to be. I was like, you know, like we talk about that sometimes. I'm like, I talk about that with some of my girlfriends. Like I think my sister and I have had that conversation, but I am not comfortable having that conversation out loud. Mm -hmm. And so hearing you talk about it was like very challenging. Yeah. Well, I think for me, I told myself, I was like, listen, you only have one time to be a debut. So you better bring it. Like I didn't want to, I didn't want to look at a chapter in my book and say, I wish I could have gone harder on that. Mm -hmm. And so that's the one thing that I'm proud of is that when I look at each chapter, I was like, I did the best that I could do. But I will say that there were many times in the book talking about the cheerleading incident, talking about being bullied by other black girls, talking about my sexuality. Um, I was like, I am creating a massive violation because these types of conversations only happen when I'm at brunch with my black girlfriends, when I'm in the kitchen talking to my mother or my aunties. And I was like, what do I think I'm doing? But I also said that, you know, I said to myself, aside saying that this is my debut and I only have one shot to make it, to do it the best that I can do. I also said, like, I owe it to myself and the people I know that have been ashamed to talk about it, to Mm -hmm. go there. Um, I don't feel like, I feel that, you know, you should be comfortable 
divulging what you want depending on the space that you're in. But for me and what I was trying to accomplish with this book is just saying like, you don't have to be ashamed of this. They should know about it because we hear so much about white women's interiority all the time from the trivial to the significant and the earth shattering and the hearing. Why can't they hear about, why can't they hear about something that we go through, but maybe just what I'm going through. And as I said, it can't speak for everyone, but I want you to reckon with that because everything that I've gone through, all of the hypocrisies and contradictions and all that I make about myself, other people, I don't live in a vacuum. So you should reckon with that. Like I have to reckon with everybody else's problems. (laughs) (laughs) That's uh, that's fair. Uh, Do you feel that there, you know, like there's some of the essays that I, that I read, like, and the, and you've already like written about this, like about your choice to get labiaplasty Mm -hmm. and and things like that. Like the, um, some of the like very personal, Mm -hmm. like sex things that you, that you will feel differently about how you chose to share that in a couple of years, maybe. Maybe, um, I might, I think, um, when I look at what I wrote, a lot of that those particular sections, I was afraid of what my mother would think. That's because fair. <laughs> my mother uh, is still in a very tight knit, small town Christian community, and she even asked me. She was like, "You know, what is what's going to happen when this book comes out?" People Facebook messaged me about, it, and I said, "Well, direct them to me." I said, because I'm grown, nobody pays for my rent but me. <laughs> so if they have something to say, then, then then tell me because I don't have shame for what happened. I think when I'm like 40, I might look at certain chapters and I'm like, oh, my God, like, why did you do it? But I also think I need to pay respect to myself at that point in time. Like, this is what I was going through and this is what... I had to get off my chest at that point. Mm -hmm. Because there'll be sometimes when I look at essays that I've written online and I'm like, man, I could have done this and that maybe stylistically or mechanically. Um, And I'm like, man, maybe I shouldn't have said that. But I also say, well, that that was a part of my making. And I don't think that I should be like, well, I regret doing that because it's starting to resonate. Like when I have people who have looked at um, advanced reader copies of the book, I'll have black women who will direct like privately message me on Instagram and be like thank you for writing that I could never say that and I'm like Um, okay well then I did a good job yeah and I think that the I I really like that point that you're making because I think that one anxiety that so many of us feel is that you you need to come into the world as a fully formed person Mm -hmm, right it's mm -hmm. like all of your ideas have to be woke. Your politics have to be perfect. Mm-hmm. Your your confidence has to be at 100 mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and all these things. And I think that, uh, you know, like hearing narratives of like girlhood or young adulthood like really challenge you in that place. Mm-hmm. This is whether you see yourself or whether you're like, hmm, like this person will feel differently mm-hmm. about this choice later. You are confronted with the fact that like people change and people grow and mm-hmm. you go through all the stuff. Right. And I think that, you know, it's very hard, you know, with the digital, you know, social media culture where, you know, we're very quick to drag someone. We're very quick to cancel. And I think it's something that I had to remind myself and other people like, listen, like wokeness or consciousness is not a linear path. It is messy. It is jagged. You're going to second guess yourself. You're going to be hypocritical because you're growing. That's not to say you shouldn't be held accountable. So there are many times like in the book where I'll say this how I felt and it was messed up and I'm ashamed (laughs) of that. But I have to tell you because I can't, I can't give you pretty. Like I tell people that like as an essayist, I can assure you that I'll give you aesthetically pleasing sentences with the help of a great editor. 
picture, but I can't give you pretty memories because that's what that wasn't what they were. And I'd be lying to you if I was just like, this is where I was and this is where I am. And it's just this clean trajectory to the top because it wasn't. (laughs) It, it It wasn't. Can you talk more about the the open letter to Michelle Obama that you write? Yeah, you know what? I it was interesting because I wasn't sure that it was going to be accepted in the final draft because it felt a little bit like a diversion just focusing on this one woman. Um, the reason why I connected with Michelle, um, as so many other black women do, is because she's phenomenal, not only because of her accomplishments, but also because of the way that she carries herself. And we will never understand the magnitude of all the judgment that she's gotten on her looks and all these sorts of things. And I think it became personal because we're both uh, Princeton graduates. And while I was at Princeton, we deified this woman for everything that she had done because it showed us all that we don't have to shrink, whether if we want to be married to a man or just because if we want to just do what we want to do and be great at it. So I wanted to write that open letter to her because unfortunately I never met her. Um, she, we usually have- You never know. You never know now. Well, I know. I hope so. <laughs> but like, you know, we have reunions every year at Princeton and, you know, she she never she never came to it, but she had a terrible time there. And so it was a thing of me just like paying honor to this woman as a Princeton alumna, as someone who's just a black woman and saw what she represented to me and other people. And I thought it was perfect to be a part of the book because she's just so much like of who I think about, even even though she's not our first lady anymore. Sadly, she's always going to be someone that is going to be like a part of me, I -hmm. guess. Okay, shifting away a little bit from the book mm-hmm. and wanting to talk about, like, growing up and, and realizing, I um, I follow you on Twitter. Okay. <laughs> and uh, it's a treat. It's, it's a treat <laughs> and a delight. You. But one thing that's been, you know, it's like Twitter is so weird. Like, you don't know people, but you get to know. You, yes. You, you get to kind of get their geography yes. a little bit. Yeah. And, and you're getting it. And one thing that has been very apparent in your, your social media path has been, <laughs> Like, like I don't know, like landing in New York and, and finding your feet. Yes. You know, in a way where, like, this city is really brutal. Like, you know, we all love yes. New York, but New York is a, it's it's a trash town, but right. it's our trash town. Right, right. Um, and, and there, you know, there's so much of the, like, making it in New York or whatever. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I, like, part of why I enjoy following you is because I'm like, yes, finally, like, a black woman who is, <laughs> like, <laughs> I, you know, like, I don't want to hear about Carrie Brownshaw anymore and her New York experience. But, oh, yeah, no. Yeah, you know, like, you've been, you've been really <laughs> transparent kind of about all the things things that uh you know that like young people go through it's like dating and and working in publishing yeah. and just trying to make your way and you know the day-to-day of yeah. life here mm-hmm. yeah I mean I think that's part of the reason why I have the followers that I do is not just because of my writing online but because I'm very off the cuff like I will go on Twitter and say oh my gosh like this man with the finest beard was on the train. It just made my day. But I didn't talk to <laughs> yes, him because, I, I, like... I can agree with yeah, that. Yeah, I'm just like, but I didn't talk to him because I just got done working out and I'm doing this whole self-care thing. And, like, all of these neuroses because, you know, even though we only have, well, I was about to say 140 characters, 280 characters, it's like, I want to show people the zigzags. 
Like, again, like, I think it's, I mean, people tell me that, oh, you curate yourself very, like, nicely online. And people use, like, all these business terms. I'm like, I, but I don't really think about that. Like, I'm like, oh, my gosh, I want to talk to someone. And I think it's amplified because I live by myself. And because New York can be such a lonely place. Like, I literally was on the train yesterday. And I was going home after working out. And I saw these two women of color. And they're two daughters and they're both friends and they're both having these conversations and I was looking at it and I was just so moved by it. Had I been in New Jersey, I'd probably be like, I don't care about these people. But because I was just seeing that sort of like intimate snapshot, mm-hmm. um, I gravitated towards it. And that's what like certain things that happen when I'm in the city where I'm like, if I'm by myself or if I'm doing research and I see little things like that, I'm like, oh my gosh, I want to like tell Twitter about it and hope that people won't say like, oh my gosh, like you're creepy or cheesy. And that hasn't happened yet. Um, but yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, you're very earnest and you're very authentic. And the thing is, everybody likes to throw those words around authenticity. Mm-hmm. But there's there's a line, mm-hmm. you know, where they're like, tell me about yourself. But then they don't mm-hmm. actually want to mm-hmm. be so invested. And, you know, that's the that's the social economy that we yeah, that yeah, we And that, yeah. that line, I think, is it's really hard for women because you want people to like you mm-hmm. or at least that's what society tells yeah. you. It's like you have to be likable. You have to be here. But I think that like when you're a black woman, that's also... Like, likability just goes out the window in this very different kind of way, you know? Yeah, I think it's like, you know, I will look at certain women, online, white women writers who are online, and they can talk in a way that I'll never go there to talk about certain issues, like whether it's about misogyny or, um, you know, talking about, you know, their sex lives or like, you know, and I'll look at that and I'll be like, and they'll have all these men comment like, oh, you're so hot. They're like, agree with them. And I'm like, but if I say that, if I say to a man, you can go F off or something like that, you're not gonna. You're gonna. You're gonna make a. You're gonna either either make a stereotypical comment and think it's not a comment, or it's just gonna go left. Because I've I've noticed certain times, like even with that authenticity, I think um, that earnestness that comes to being a black woman. Some people think you're too accessible. So what I mean by that is sometimes I'll make a tweet about something, and maybe a white woman, and obviously everybody has good intentions. But she'll probably probably respond and say, like, oh, girl, or something like that. And I'm like, wait a minute. Like, we are not at that level. (laughs) You know what I mean? So I think there's something to be said, and it's interesting you saying. I think it's like even when when white women say all these things about their lives, we just there's still parts of them that are restricted. Like, we're conditional that we can't, there's some there's certain parts of them that's untouchable, whereas if, like, a black woman is kind or if she's really nice or a lot or whatever, it's like, okay, now I have to get every part of her. Mm-hmm. And that goes into the whole, we can go into, like, emotional labor and how that, yeah. you know, happens as well, yeah. you know, so. And how you have to be accessible and you have to save everybody. Yeah, and, yeah. Like, we're all running for president now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. We're right. the only ones who vote right. 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 Um, yeah, you know, and I think that uh, the other thing too, and and you write about this, is about being uh, being a feminist and being like a black feminist is so it's so interesting on so many levels because, on one hand, like black women build feminism, mm-hmm. you know, but the a lot of times it can feel like the public face of feminism is so, it's so unrecognizable from right, right. like what the actual right. ideals are. Right. And so like we talk about white feminism and we talk about how that's commodified and and all those things. But you you really wrestle with that, right? Like your identity about like, how do you identify? Like, am I a feminist? Am I a black feminist? Am I, am I a woman? Am I a black woman? Am I like, and, yeah. and you have to, you have to unpack all of it. Right. And I think the interesting thing is, is like when I talk about, 
Do I have to be black first or woman first or feminist, black feminist? I feel like I'm, I'm repeating myself so much and I'm belaboring the point. But every time that I go on Twitter, I will see, you know, someone, whether it's a black man or whether it's a white person, white woman, white man, to be like, oh, like to say something that makes it feel like I have to split my identity up. And then I have to keep repeating myself. And I'm like, this is exactly why I do the work that I do. Because many times as black women, like I am black and a woman, somehow we have to be carved into these little pieces because otherwise you cannot assess us in the right way you know what I mean and that's the part that just that that kind of gets on my nerves but it also fuels the work that I do because I I wanted to one of the things that I wanted to accomplish in this book is like I know that it's like I don't want everyone to agree with me on everything it's not it's probably not going to happen but I want people to understand that there are many moments where you you can't choose and why would you want us to choose because so much of what we go through it's it's an intersection and we have to deal with that and why don't you have to deal with that you know what i mean why yeah. are you asking us these questions that you want us to sort of compartmentalize our humanity we don't do that for any of you like it, i mean so yeah yeah Every generation has its challenges. Some would say that's the reason for its progress. It might start with a small act of kindness or a big idea that changes everything. It can come from the tiniest voice or the voice of a generation. Or it could come from me. I mean, not to. I am one of six change-making women featured in Eileen Fisher's Good Goes On campaign this spring. The campaign highlights women empowering women, the importance of sustainability, and the power of good design. Eileen started in 1984 with the idea that simple clothes can make life easier. And after spending a day on set wearing a super comfortable ultra chic jumpsuit, I think she's really on to something. As a company, Eileen Fisher believes doing well by doing good, and that's reflected in the way their clothes are made. Timeless styles and quality materials that are responsibly sourced for less impact on the environment and a more positive impact on the world. It was a real honor to be featured in this campaign and meet the other women making a difference in their community. I've been a longtime Eileen Fisher fan, so this was a dream come true for me. You can visit EileenFisher.com and use the offer code GIRLFRIEND to receive $25 off of your $100 purchase. That's EileenFisher.com, offer code GIRLFRIEND for $25 off. If you could go back to, like, baby Morgan, 18, about to go to Princeton, what what would you tell that person now from everything that you know now? Oh, my God. Man, I would tell her to just don't even worry about the boys. Don't. (laughs) Because I went to to high school, and I was like, I don't want to be in a relationship, whatever, because I was like, you know what? Like, I am going to just go to Princeton, and guys are going to like me now because of my, um, you know, my intellect. And then I go to Princeton, and I'm like, you know, this is just the same as high school, but we just have dorms, and our parents aren't around. You know, so I wish I would have told my 18-year-old self, like, 
trust what you can do more. Stop looking for predominantly white organizations to validate your writing talent. Maybe you're not meant to be a part of them. Um, and I wasn't. And also, like I said, like, stop looking, stop thinking that you're not whole if you don't have a boyfriend. Like, stop thinking that, you know, having a boyfriend is an accomplishment. And don't keep, don't read those things about how unmarriageable you are. Like, so much of my college experience, which, I mean, I loved Princeton. Like, I loved, like, intellectually, I was just soaring. I could explore everything I wanted to. But socially, it was just so hard because I felt like I had to have everything to prove to myself and my community that I could be smart and I can be opinionated and I can also be loved in a romantic sense. And if I would have stopped worrying about that for those four years I would have saved a lot of energy but also like I guess that was that was a part of my um, evolution <laughs> right it's like you have to go <laughs> it's so ridiculous to think about that like at 20 when do you graduate college like 22 that you're yes! supposed to have all those things yeah I'm like I'm 32 now I don't have most of those things well, I'm yeah. fine. <laughs> but I also I came from a Christian community yeah. and you know it was you know the oldest person in my family to get married was like 26 and, you know, me and my sister on my mother's side were the first people to, to go to college. So my mother, my grandmother, or to graduate from college, rather, sorry. But my mother and my grandmother, they just thought that that was the place to find your equal. You got an MRS Yeah, college. yeah. So, like, get mm -hmm. your degree, but also, you know, it's hard out here. So, yeah, I remember when I was, like, 12, I thought I wanted to get married at 22. And I was like, man, if I would have got married at 22, I would have been ruined. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. Um, and you also work in publishing, mm -hmm. which is uh, predominantly not very colorful. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, like, can you talk a little bit about that and just, like, who are the people that see the world in the way that you do? Because, like, you mentioned your editor, and she is a fabulous woman of color. And, you know, like, you, like, get to do, you get to do work with people who, like, both understand you and also know your background in an industry that's not really friendly towards that. Yeah, so I'm just going to say that, like, sometimes I think it's a dream in terms of being a publisher because, like, I, I said it on Twitter, I made a long thread about it, but getting into publishing was not easy. It was not about credentials. Like, Is that I, what you wanted to do from the beginning? Like, you were like, this is the industry I want to go into? Probably when I was when I got into college, yeah. When I was fourteen, I thought I wanted to be like a doctor, like my father. But luckily, I got rid of that dream when I went to college. Because if I would have <laughs> taken an orgo organic chemistry class, I'm like I would have just <laughs> failed. But I I knew I wanted to be in publishing. I knew I wanted to be a writer. So, you know, senior year of college, mind you, I went to went through multiple unpaid internships. I was taking the New Jersey Transit to New York for fifteen minute interviews, would last all day. You know adding in um, commute times, and I wouldn't even hear a call back. Mind you, and I don't want to flex too much, but, like, I had the comparative literature degree. I went to an Ivy University. I spoke six languages. I did multiple unpaid internships. There was no time during that those moments where I shook hands with an editorial assistant who was not white, was not a white woman. And it's, it, it's crazy now because it's, like, to think about those moments where if it were not for Twitter, you know, I probably would not be where I am. I, I met my agent through Twitter. My agent mm -hmm. is a woman of color. Then I met my acquiring editor, who is actually a white woman. Oh, sorry. I met yeah, your no, agent. it's okay. My bad. But yeah, like I met them through Twitter. Mm -hmm. It was through me 
being at home on like pretty much depressed because I couldn't even get an editorial assistant job that literally sat on the website just a four-year degree and an interest in literature. And I was just at home and I was freelancing and then, you know, tweeting and that's how I found people. And so I'm now an associate editor at Catapult and I, I I got my job because part of the reason because there was a black man there, an editor there, his name is Mensa Damari. And you know, I went in and I interviewed for that position and it was in 15, I mean, I already moved to New York by then. I saved up money to move to New York. It was a 15 minute interview and I just did what I had to do when I left because at that moment I was just so worn down and I was like, it was just going, going to Starbucks, get a cup of coffee. I just did what I had to do. But he was the one that told, you know, my boss, you need to hire her because there's nobody that can do what she can do. That's part of the reason why I have the job that I have now. So I think like being in publishing, like, you know, I have, you know, a woman of color agent who not only gives professional support, but emotional support. So when I wrote certain things in my in my book that I was like, okay, am I doing okay here? Or like someone who fights for you to get the money that you deserve. And then, you know, having an acquiring editor who's a white woman, I also, it helped me with certain things when I was talking about hair. She had to tell me, I remember, it, I'll never forget this. She was like, you know, you have to specify because a, a perm does not mean the same to white people as a black person. I was like, what? And she was like, yeah, a perm means to white people that their hair gets curly. And I was like, oh, yeah, that must be legally blonde. And that's why she won the case. And I was like, oh. So, like, I literally, like, saw that comment on Google Doc, and I was like, oh, my God. Like, yeah, they won't understand that. And I had to pull, like, a so little funny. footnote. So, I think, like, me being in publishing right now, it's it's all because of just, like, the internet. There was no other way. And that's why I had to tell people, like, sometimes it's really, it doesn't matter how many unpaid internships you do, how, which school you went to as a woman of color, or how well you can do an interview. Take it from someone like me. I was not getting callbacks. I can't even tell you how many rejections I got. But it was because I was on Twitter that I, that everything happened. Well, um, I can't believe I'm going to say this, but good for Twitter. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, Twitter is crazy, but the community that I've had under the people, like, I mean, the majority- you, you get a different kind of exposure, which is true. Yeah, right? and the amount of friends that I have in New York, the majority of them, I think, are from Twitter, mm-hmm. which helps me because, you know, because sometimes when you go to events and there's icebreakers, like, I don't feel like doing Like, it. you don't want to talk to people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, so the book is coming out. Uh, there's also news that you have, like, many more books coming out. Yeah. I like how you're like, oh, like, this is my one shot at making it. It's like, surprise. Well, I know. Yeah. yeah. It was funny because someone on Twitter literally was like, oh, my gosh, like, what are you doing over there? And I'm like, I honestly been working my ass off. I wouldn't say this to you like a year and a half ago. I'm like, well, I'm doing some things. But no, like, I've been working. I got the bags under my shirt. Doesn't it feel rewarding? Yeah. Like, all of the work that I did last year is, like, all of that fruit is coming to, yeah. to bear. It's 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 rewarding. It's scary because I'm like, damn, like I am what I want it to be. Be um, I think you know, being a black woman in this industry, and to have the support of people that I you know do, and the financial support to to talk about black things, and for someone to say it's you know. I'm going to give you money behind what it is that's that's fueling your interest right now means so much to me. And every day I have to fight back against sort of resist, I guess is the word, imposter syndrome. 
because, you know, there'll be certain times where I'll get bylines certain places and I'll be like, that does not mean. I literally have to go in my Google Doc and say, yes, that was. Like, I know that I wrote that. <laughs> um, but when it comes to, like, writing books and, like, when you know how hard it is and how, you know, some people don't get that chance, it's like, well, why did it happen for me? But then at the same time, it's good to be mindful of your privilege, but don't discredit the work that you've been doing. So, yeah, like, I'm, I'm coming out with two more books, which I'm really excited about. And I don't know if you want me to, like, elaborate. Yeah, a bit go over. for it. So the second book that I'm w- working on is called Why We Get Out, and it's inspired by the movie Get Out. And basically what I want to do is explore the origins, potential origins, rather, of black paranoia and fear. So if you are on Twitter, you might see memes of, like, black people don't do this, black people don't do this. And I'm like, well, why don't we do that? So what I'm trying to do is, like, interview black people of various ethnic groups across the country, like, for example, like Louisiana Creole, Gullah Geechee people, as well as talk to scholars of various disciplines like folklore, um, epigenetics, for example, um, and psychology, and to get these sort of ideas of what dictates our behavior. The third project is a novel, which I'm really happy about because I actually went in MFA. Um, I did my MFA in fiction, so a lot of people don't know I'm a fiction writer. So basically, it's set in Harlem, and it's about women who are born with a call. So if you don't, if you are familiar or not familiar with African-American folklore, um, those who have a call are like gifted with second sight. So I'm going to be writing about that as well. So I'm really happy. This is, like, <laughs> this is exciting. You're, so happy. I love what you said. Like I'm doing all the things I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Like you you hope that for everybody, right? Exactly. So that's great. Mm-hmm. Well, Morgan, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for giving us your time and your thank attention. You. And uh, the book is out. This will be my undoing. So thank uh, you. Thanks. Thank you so much. The thing about it that was great about reading her was just there are a lot of ways that we're really alike, you know, and then there are a lot of ways that we're actually very different. And I was like, oh, like, I don't see myself in any of this book. I don't agree with all of it. But I like I so appreciate that it exists because it opens up the conversation of like who gets to tell their story and who gets to be like kind of a person in the world. And through all the stories, it's like you see somebody grow up. Like she talks about like the a lot of the bullying that she endured when she was really young. And then like these like really like uh, like college experiences that so many people can identify with. And then, you know, like being a young adult in New York now. And I was like, wow, like you really do go through a journey in your 20s. Yeah, it's it's truly like listening to you talk about also like memoir that is written like very close to the time it's lived. You know, when I think about some of my favorite memoirs of recent years, I mean, it is Issa Rae's Misadventures of Awkward Black Girl. It's Gabby Sidibe's This Is My Face. Yep. It's, you know, I really loved Brody Lancaster's No Way, Okay, Fine, last year, all written by women about the era of their life so that they're still in. And like the confidence it takes to say, no, this is not like me making a comment about my generation and that's why you should care. But like literally this is only about me and you should still care because I'm amazing and interesting and valid and like listen to my smart thoughts is like, I just, I'm like, yes, more of that, all of that. <laughs> like, so good. Yeah, you know, and um, the other thing about Morgan too that's interesting is that she's like, so she grew up in suburban New Jersey. She like went to Princeton and now she lives in Harlem and she works in publishing and she always talks about like feeling like an outsider, um, which is, you know, both in this like very personal way and also like in a political way, which 
I think is so, it's like the lens that she uses is like so interesting to analyze a lot of these problems. And some of the, some of like some, she writes some like incredible essays, like who doesn't love Michelle Obama? But like she has a kind of a different connection with Michelle Obama because Michelle also went to Princeton and huh. like there is that, you know, it was like the woman that like they all looked up to or whatever. That's my favorite essay in the book. Honestly, it's so good. It's like she, um, I wrote it down because it made me so happy. She like uh, calls Michelle the beacon that reminds white people that 99% of them will never reach where you are. Wow. It's, it's like, it's a lot. <laughs> it's like really heavy. And, uh, you know, but also just like, um, one of the essays that she, uh, one of the thing, the topics that she, t- uh, she touches on in the book and that she's like written about previously, if you follow her, is about like her own decision to have labiaplasty when she was, um, um, right out of college And that essay is interesting to me because it's uh, kind of in the canon of like, how do you, how do you justify things that you have done, right? Especially like if you say that you're a feminist or, or, you know, like um, all of this stuff. And it ends up being a really interesting just exploration of your own politics and also your own worth and your own beauty and how that stacks up against like the message of the world. And I thought it was like a really honest conversation to have in a world where we, I think that, like, when we're feminists, we refuse sometimes to engage with these, like, super mainstream beauty standards and, like, you know, and be challenged in that place. Right, or admit to feeling those pressures. Exactly. Like, when, when even if you are a feminist, you live in this world and, like, those pressures affect you no matter what your, like, political point of view is. Exactly. I'm like, I love wearing lipstick. I will not apologize for it. <laughs> <laughs> right, but like, but, like, will you write an essay interrogating why maybe you love it? Like, sure. You know, right. like, that's the other, yeah. Right, or thinking about, like, um, you know, like, plastic surgery procedures that I was like, ooh, like, maybe I would explore this or like this is good or this is an aesthetic that I like or whatever and I don't know I think it's so important to have somebody like talk about that in this place where they're still just like messily trying to figure themselves out and I think one of the things that I enjoy the most honestly is that like you just don't get it's like there's so much like you hear about black girl magic and like everybody loves like black women to be strong and like vote right and always do the right things like where you know like, saving the democratic party right. like and like bringing home the bacon and like every right. other like yeah 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 we're Sorry, basically like captain save a hoe for the rest of you um right. and wherein the rest of us are the hoe yeah exactly <laughs> and here is Morgan, just like a messy like woman trying to figure out like her own politics and her own thoughts and whatever. And I was like, thank you. Thank you for not like buying into this need to just be like completely figured out and have all your shit together and also just be strong for everyone. Right. And um, there's something just like very remarkable about that. I was like, there, there are not a lot of those. Um, there are not a lot of those narratives. Do you, I'm curious about this, like thinking about her book and like, you know, her experiences in like feeling confident in her choices and finding her voice. Like, were you, are there things in your own life that you were like, oh my God, like, even though I have never considered say a labiaplasty or whatever, like this is the controversial thing that I think about over and over in my head or like this is the, you know, like the similar points on your own confidence journey. Yeah, I think like one like one of the early things that she talks about is how when she was in elementary school, she wanted to be a white cheerleader. And wow. that like legit made me gasp. <laughs> I was like, I can't, I was like, I can't breathe. I can't breathe. Like we're not allowed to talk about this out loud. 
And uh, and I think that like the, the reason I had such a strong reaction to it is because I think that as I've like gone through my own journey of, um, you know, like kind of figuring out how I feel about my own race and my own place in the world and and getting my politics and my vocabulary right about it, I've really repressed a lot of memories where, um, like in places where I really either like really wanted to assimilate with whiteness or was kind of forced to, you know? And yeah, yeah. like, and thinking about like, oh, there was a time in my life where like I was not woke. I like didn't have it together. But also I was just this like very confused, like only black girl in the class, like kind of thing. Right. And I forgot how painful that was. I was like, oh, like I like I never had the experience where like I wanted to be a white cheerleader, but I wanted all of those white little girls to like me. And and every time that like you know, one of them would say something funny about my hair. Yeah, it's like hair was like a predominant one. Or anytime like anybody made me feel different when I never saw myself as different, I forgot how painful that was. And I was like, oh, I've just like completely repressed all of these memories and I didn't want to deal with it. Another thing that she talks about too is just this like um, the taboo that like a lot of black women have about like being thought of as fast-tailed girls. Which, you know, it's just basically the the idea that, like, Black girls, like, grow up too fast and they're really easy at a young age and things like that. But really, it's a conversation about, like, how we're sexualized at a young age and how vulnerable we are to, like, um, sexual abuse and things like that. Yeah. And it's not like Black girls are like, let's all grow up too fast. Like, this is, like, a cultural, like, like an embedded racist, sexist cultural phenomenon. Right. And it's like... yeah. And and it's just, and it was like, again, like that was something that was really painful to revisit. I was confronted with like all of the places that I wasn't allowed to be a kid for a long time. Like I had to grow up really, really fast. And again, like all of those things have repercussions in, in like your present life, right? And in adulthood. And I'm such an avoider. This is why I go to therapy. Uh, and I don't know. And reading that, reading that like from another young black woman, like meant a lot to me where I was like, oh, this is not like therapy speak. It's not like some sort of documentary or a hashtag on Twitter or, you know, it was very much like, here is a person that could be my friend, like talking about something that it's hitting really close to me. Right. Like black girl reality, not black girl magic. Mm -hmm. Exactly. I don't know. I, I have really come around the like 20 something person memoir. Like I want to see more of them. I like, I loved what you said about like talking about your lived experience, like, uh, like the closer you are to it mm -hmm. because we didn't grow up with like internet all of the time. And so I think that we were allowed to kind of like make up our minds about things and change our minds and change our politics or whatever. And now it's really an exercise in bravery, I feel like, to tell people what your opinions are. Like, knowing that you, like, will probably change your mind or, like, new context will happen for you. And so that's why I really enjoyed this. And, I, yeah, I think that that's something that, like, not just in the context of people who are, or, like, young women who are writers or memoirists, but, like, you know, the idea that if you express an opinion, even if it's just, like, on the internet to your friends, like, you're not, you're not, you know, making your career as a writer, that, like, that's a stake in the ground that, like, then people can disagree with you. You, f you feel like you have to have every single, like, argumentative point lined up to defend what you think. Like, I am continually grateful that, like, I got to kind of grow up with blog internet and, f and like, slowly kind of, like, gain an audience for 
my opinions, many of which are stupid and kind of unfounded, but like I learned to feel okay with putting them out in the world anyway, just because I felt like I could do that with a little bit of like a little bit of anonymity, you know, which is, it's just like things are different now. And I think that like, that's why it's really important to have women like Morgan modeling this kind of honesty and confidence about their owning their experiences in the public sphere. Yeah. You know, and the thing about Morgan, like, especially if you follow her on Twitter is that she's like, she's an endlessly earnest person, which, um, you know, I feel that like in, in the harsh coastal worlds that we live in can be, it can really be looked down upon as a like, oh my God, like, why do you put everything out there? Or, you know, like, why are you oversharing or whatever? And she doesn't do any of those things, but I think that she is like ruthlessly herself all of the time. And that should make, that should like really make everybody who reads her like examine how they share their own ideas and how they feel about their own place in the world. You know, I was I was really challenged by that, where I was like, oh, like, it is okay to say everything that you think out loud. Like, it's fine. It's like, <laughs> one, men do it all the time. First. All <laughs> the time. Literally like, no qualms. all of yeah. the time. You know, like, but when you're a woman, you have to have so many qualifications. And then when you're a woman of color, it's like even more like, ah, like, can I even, like, get a squeak out of here? And I was like, actually, like, take up all of the space in the world. Take up the space. Take up the time to, like, say the things that you think and like challenge yourself and you know and just like and be yourself in the moment like there's so much joy in that and I don't know it made me like it made me really happy and it's like even if you read this book and you know there's a lot of stuff that you won't agree with or things where you're like I don't understand this or I don't see this or whatever that's like actually not the point the point for me was I was like wow I'm like celebrating somebody like like talking about themselves like center like a person who is usually not centered in like in any kind of like popular narrative talking about their own reality and there's something so powerful about that you can find us many places on the internet on our website callyourgirlfriend.com you can download it anywhere you listen to your favorite podcast or an apple podcast where we'd love it if you left us a review you can email us at callyrgf at gmail.com we're on instagram twitter and facebook at callyrgf you can subscribe to our monthly newsletter, The Bleed, on the Call Your Girlfriend website. Uh, you can even leave us a short and sweet voicemail at 714-681-2943. That's 714-681-CYGF. Our theme song is by Robin. All original music is composed by Carolyn Pennypacker-Riggs. Our logos are by Kanisha Need, And this podcast is produced by Gina Delvac. This Will Be My Undoing is out. Get it, read it, uh, get your friends to read it, and talk to us about it. Thanks so much to Morgan for talking to us. Boo-boo, I'll see you on the internet. See you on the internet. Can't wait to read your opinions on the internet. (laughs) 